And another installment of Banker with a Beer presented by Northwestern Bank. I'm Scott across the way is Jerry. Jerry, very excited about this beverage. We'll get to the guest in a moment. I'll return her guest, which will be very exciting. But uh, why don't you talk about this beverage? Because this looks fancy, and I know it's something we have not had before. This will be good, Scott. Uh, our guest, which we will get to in a moment, uh, kind of gives me a lot of uh, breath when it comes to uh, choosing something. So I'm going a little deep here. I'm going, Scott, you know, if I'm going to go someplace good, it's going to go to Belgium. This is going to be Belgium. And we're going to have a Belgium triple here. Uh, this is called a Carmelette. It's a uh, Trappist. Well, it's actually not Trappist, It's but it, it's Belgian. Apparently, they, they claim that the recipe for the beer was discovered in a monastery. Well, it, it makes for a good story anyway, but it's been around for, for a few hundred years. Anyway, it'll be a triple, so it will be a very uh, clear beer, very clean. Um, it will have probably more of a aroma like a, a banana, a little citrusy, a uh, little high alcohol content. You'll drink it. It's actually probably dissolve right off your tongue. So uh, I'll... I'm excited to have it. I actually haven't had this triple. I love Belgian triples. My favorite is West Mall, but this I think will be uh, definitely in that realm. But we have a great friend of the show here today. So uh, Heidi Aliopoulos. And the only reason I have her, along she's she's a wonderful person, is that I've learned how to pronounce Aliopoulos. <laughs> and so it gives me the opportunity to kind of share that with our listening audience. Right. So Dr. Heidi. Eliopoulos will be here today. She is a superintendent of Altoona Schools District, and uh, she's been with us kind of through the last, when we started the podcast, and then through COVID and all the challenges, and um, I knew her when she was up in Chippewa Falls, and uh, I just have been very excited about the candor that you bring to this, and just your, your passion for the job, and passion for your kids, so... Uh, Scott, I will start uh, pouring the beer, and you can bring Heidi on board. Outstanding. And I've joked before when we have uh, these, these return guests on Saturday Night Live, they joke around about the four-timers club and the eight-timers club and all that. we gotta, we got to start getting jackets or whatnot for the people that have been on three, four times. I'm a four-timer. <laughs> at, at, at this and the point. the first four-timer. Yeah. Uh, what, yes. And the thing is, and it's one of those interesting things, uh, you were on, I remember, right during the heart of COVID, and that – we were talking a lot about how that impacted education. Well, now, that'll always be a part of us, and that's going to have a, a stain a bit on the education system for a while with the younger generations and what have you. But as we sit here right now in the fall of 2023, how does education look uh, in Altoona? And maybe even take a little bit of a, of a higher look there before we get to, too deep. Yeah, there's two there's two pieces to that conversation. Um, the exciting part and the other part that's our reality. Uh, education, people have been in education for quite some time. I can't believe I'm going to say it's been 23 <laughs> years for me, but we're facing some of the greatest challenges that we've ever faced. At the same time, probably some of the most exciting work being done in education is the things I see happening these last couple of years. Uh, specifically in Altoona, we've really focused in on um, creating tomorrow-ready citizens. So instead of looking at high school graduation as the finish line and you know checking the boxes of graduation requirements, really focusing on that's the starting line and preparing our students for their futures first and foremost. So 
that's kind of that higher level exciting piece. Um, our reality is every now and then we'll look at a piece of data or a, a cohort of students and go, wait a second, this is this is an outlier and we start to count back and we go, oh, they missed the last quarter of first grade. That's why this group of kids might be struggling with social development. So what do we do now if they're struggling as fifth graders? What do we do to close that gap? We can't just leave them behind and keep going. All right. The beverage yes. has been poured. Yeah, a very clear beverage. Looks, yes. uh, looks like any regular light beer, but I don't think it's going to taste like that. Oh, excellent. This is very nice. good choice, Jerry. Uh, that is very, very good, and uh, yeah, that'll that'll go down for the next thirty minutes. That'll be yes. uh, uh, that'll be outstanding. This'll, and, this'll work well. And uh, one other thing, and by the way, you know Heidi does do her own podcast. Uh, the uh, Altoona School District has their own uh, show, Educast. So make sure you check that out as well. But y you mentioned something that you say always on your podcast, that graduating high school is that starting line. Yes. And really explain that to everybody out there. I think it's one of those things that people hear, and they, they're close to understanding it, and maybe by explaining it, you validate what is already in their head. But, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of life after high school, and that's right. what we're preparing kids for now. Right. So where, where that notion came from that we've really narrowed our focus in is way back in 2021, we were all still working through the pandemic, but we needed to recommit to our community. We needed to understand our community's values. So we brought in 60 members of our community and we asked them what the future, what their vision is for the future of the community of Altoona, not the school district, the community. And what was loud and clear is every child as an adult, there's a place for them in our community. However, what their dreams are and what their aspiration is and what their pathway is, they're all completely different. So we can't prepare every student to walk the same path. We have to prepare them for what they're going to do after graduation. Um, just like a, an Olympic athlete or a professional athlete, they have coaches that prepare them. Somebody doesn't just show up and run the 100 meter dash at the Olympics with no preparation before it. And so that's the way we're looking at high school graduation is where everything we're doing now is preparing them for what they're going to do after high school. So how are they going to be contributing members of their community? How are they going to be able to earn a living wage in an area um, that they're also passionate about? Um, how are they going to be able to uh, have a job that will provide for them so they can have access to health insurance and health care and mental health care? And that's really what we think about is not pushing kids out the door and certainly we don't pigeonhole or lock them in, but we start the conversation early with our students as early as fourth grade. What is a career? What are your interests? Um, even like what general career field are you interested? You don't have to decide you're going to be a phlebotomist or a, a welder, but what in general do you like? And then we actually help students get college credits while they're still in high school and work-based learning experiences so they can decide what they want to do but also definitely what 
they don't want to do. We all know those young people who uh, paid for an entire college degree and aren't using it now. So that's really what we mean when we're looking at the high school graduation as the finish, or excuse me, the starting line, not the finish line. The most important um, part of their life comes next, and we prepare them to follow their dreams, whatever that dream might be. There appears to be a lot more of a, I'll call it a, a blurring of the lines a bit between uh, college and high school or tech school uh, and I mean way back in the dark ages when I went to school the, 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 the groups never talked to each other so yes. you all went had a, a high school experience and then you graduated mm -hmm. all right well then you started a new experience so that might be a technical school experience it might be a university experience you might grow out in, in the workforce but you wouldn't really think about getting a job until after you graduated so it was very compartmentalized now, though, you're starting to see you can get credit earlier in either for college or for uh, a tech school. You can do an internship at, at the high school level. You're doing internships in the college level. It's mm -hmm. just more of these, these stages of life aren't so um, segmented. So upon graduation, this stops and this, this begins. It's, there's a blurring where you can actually begin at an early age to just continue on to the next step where the formal graduation is merely a transition as opposed to being an ending or a beginning. Actually, you described that beautifully. Um, and that when I talk about some of those exciting things that are happening in education right now, there's a lot of research that um, tells us what what adults need, what experiences they need to be successful in a career field, to be successful going to college. And we have different indicators. So we have the answer key now. And so if we know a student who does X, Y, and Z, it shows us they're ready for college, we can ensure those experiences. If we know a, a student will be ready for the, a, a career field to earn a living wage, if they do X, Y, and Z, we can build those experiences right in. We know that a student who um, graduates from high school and doesn't have any level of certification or training or apprenticeship or um, a, a degree from a two-year college or a four-year college, they're more likely to um, have to work part-time jobs, multiple part-time jobs, that which don't always come with benefits like health insurance or um, other benefits like that. They're, they're more likely to have children very young, but then struggle to support them. So what we're doing is we are uh, building in workplace learning experiences and um, we directly teach and practice employability skills. We developed a rubric so we can give kids feedback on their employability skills. And then they, while they're still in high school and have the support and training at school, we help them find jobs in the community. So um, trying to actually help fill that need in our community as well. Is it relatively easy, and we might have talked about this in previous podcasts, but I, I, I find this, this, this an interesting thought is, again, back when I went to school, they had tracking, and you were at, at a relatively young age. I'm guessing even first grade, second grade, there were, in my school, there were three levels, and you, know, you kind of went on this track, or either the accelerated track, more of a middle track, and then more of a, a track that for who needed some more assistance. And... There really, once you were assigned to one of those tracks, there was very limited movement between those 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 areas. And at some time later, you realized, well, wait a minute, that's probably not a great way to do yeah. things because, I mean, if you aren't 
if if you're tracked early, you were you're tending at a discretionary decision made back when you were in, in kindergarten or first grade has kind of set you up for life in one area or not area. We shouldn't do that. So we should, you know, bring the kids together and then sort this out later. How are you handling that now? Yeah. Because I'm just wondering, you know, if, if can you identify at a relatively young age children who have aptitudes who, who are be struggling more, and then can you kind of bring them back to center, or are there many um, real success stories of children who who start out maybe at, at, at a deficiency level and all of a sudden become just these stars later, or you know, and unfortunately some who maybe have have really great uh, insight or, or show competence at an age kind of fall off. How does the school deal with that now? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, we want to be realistic. Right now, I would tell you most middle school students um, want to be like a marine biologist or a professional football player. But when we look at our students, um, that may not be realistic for all of our students. So that's where the notion of a career field or a career cluster comes from. So if a student is, we look at where their uh, interests and their aptitudes intersect. So we get them talking very young about the type of job. Do they want to work with their hands? Do they want to work with people? Do they want to work with technology? Um, and thinking about general fields. So um, if a student is interested in healthcare, there's a wide range of careers within that because they are going to need a certain, uh, they're going to need to have a certain skill set to be able to go to medical school. And we're not, um, and we're not going to be able to prepare every single student to be a neurosurgeon. But if they're interested in healthcare, we might be able to help them by uh, through a uh, you know, going on to a job site and learning about the different jobs, find something that is a good fit for them. But we do very early on, we do some universal screeners and interventions very early on and continuing all the way through high school so that if there is a gap for a student between where their similar aged peers are and where they're performing, we spend more time on those skills and we reteach them to try to close that gap to keep as many doors open for them as possible. And it, I know this has been a, a discussion point in education for years, kind of the nature versus yes. nurture. Um, how, I, obviously the best case scenario if are both together and working mm -hmm. forward. Uh, Every school system struggles to a certain extent with trying to deal with students who are in a really challenging living environment. Mm -hmm. um, what kind of impact, at least from your perspective, uh, does a struggling home environment have on a child's education path? And can the school bridge that gap mm -hmm. to a, enough a degree to really still give the student a chance to succeed beyond school. Yeah, I would say more than ever, we're seeing um, what happens at home impacting a student's individual development. Um, however, knowing that, um, it's like everything else. If we see that as a need, we'll address it head on. So um, one of my challenges, frustrations with education is it's not really education anymore. It feels like a, a whole lot of things, you know, like, hey, uh, sometimes we feel like we're the village that's supposed to be raising the children. Um, and that's, I'm going to be honest, that's frustrating sometimes. Um, 
the flip of that is if we know that and we know that's the role we play in our schools today like we haven't before we're actually teaching kids directly teaching kids how to regulate their own emotions how to identify when their emotions have are are unregulated and we'll work with them to regulate and eventually teach them to be able to regulate themselves we're teaching kids how to have healthy relationships with their peers Um, We're teaching students how to manage their own emotions when maybe something's happening around them that might anger them. And it's a newer role that we play and we're treating it in the same vein that we directly teach other skills. And does it take away from academics? Yes and no. Obviously, that's time spent. That's not spent on academics. But without those skills, students won't be able to be tomorrow ready citizens. They, They won't be able to be a productive member of their communities if they aren't in control of their emotions and able to have some self-control. So it's like, if not us, then who in some cases? We'll give you a moment to take a sip of the the beverage here as I lead you into this. And, And you've kind of answered this a bit directly and indirectly over these last few answers you've given. I say this with a smile. A lot of students' parents went to school like I did in the 90s, all right? What are some changes, differences from when we went to school in the 90s that we have to accept now? And I say it with a smile Mm -hmm. on my face. Like, math is different. No matter what, math is different. What are some other things that, no matter what, hey, we did it one way 20 years ago, 20, 30 years ago. This is different. It's not necessarily better or worse than what it was. But it's what it is now and what we think is probably going to be better if you take a moment and think about it. Yeah. Yep. That's a great question because I was a product of the 80s and 90s as well. Um, one, And honestly, even so I graduated with my bachelor degree in 2001. So it's even different than how I was trained to teach that those many years ago. But when we were students, um, teachers were trained probably more to teach to the middle and you know students who had higher level skills were probably a little bored and students who didn't it was an expectation that their parents worked with them at home or they went into special education a lot of that teaching in the middle a lot of what jerry said that there was kind of one pathway you were either preparing kids for college or you weren't. I was actually discouraged from going to college my senior year. Uh, neither of my parents had gone to college. My ACT score was fine, but not stellar. So I was discouraged to go. Um, um, kind of treating everybody the same. I don't mean equally, but assuming everybody learns the same and has the same background information, that's something that was different then. I only remember learning things one way. And I can say, um, I think the math is way better now. I was just in a math classroom <laughs> today and I and I thought, gosh, if he was my teacher, I maybe would have been a math teacher instead of an English teacher. Who knows? So those are some things that they're just they're just flat out different. Well, one thing I know with, with math is that yes, the way that some like division is calculated is is quite watching my my fourth grade daughter do math right now. Just I, I I can't do simple division anymore. But they're giving it a much more of a practical yes. manner that I think is very important. I always joke around that I very much dislike math growing up. I got decent grades with it and all that. Uh, 
but I didn't like math, yet all I do in my career is is math, mm-hmm. all right? It's, it's fun when it's something that means something, and I know that's becoming a key thing, going right back to what you were saying before, is trying to show how this education can be applied to whatever it is you want to do. And no matter what it is you want to do, probably elements of every class you take is going to play a role. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go back to uh, something we talked about earlier in the discussion, but taking a different approach. We, we were talking about how good it's to be done with uh, COVID and those challenges. Yeah. How have the kids been scarred because of it? Mm-hmm. Because I, I, I can't imagine, I mean, it, it was a, a, a chunk of time. Yes. And as they're moving through the system, I mean, I know you're trying to catch people up and trying to, but I mean, it's not as though prior to COVID that there were a lot of times that the students were simply twirling their thumbs and the staff was just looking for stuff to do. I mean, they had, they were very uh, scheduled and, and uh, a very high curriculum prior to COVID. Then you have COVID. It blows up the whole thing. We did the best with virtual learning or whatever. You brought the kids back in. How has that process mm-hmm. gone, and where are things today? And are will there ever, quote unquote, be? I won't say normal, but will they always kind of have scars through the rest of their life in terms of missing some very critical and key portions of their education at a time mm-hmm. when they were most open to it? I've I've heard things like you know the the best time to like learn a a second language is at a certain young age. Well, that window opens and the window closes. I'm guessing there are things in, in education where the window opens, the window closes. You can backfill, but it's not the same. Yes, excellent question. Um, where we have seen the biggest impact is the younger the students were during the statewide closure, the greater impact it has had. So um, COVID learning loss was predicted we experienced it every we experienced it all over Wisconsin, all over the country. We experienced it in Altoona. For the most part, we have recovery data points where we're almost back up to where we were pre COVID. We've been very deliberate about our work to bring academics back up. You can see those students who are kindergarten, first grade, are now like fourth grade, fifth grade, they have had some of the greater learning loss. Um And we've had to be very deliberate about closing the gap and providing interventions. But even bigger than that, those students who are in kindergarten, first grade, and even some who weren't even school-aged yet, they missed out on social development. Social development that just comes from interacting with people, whether they, you know, had had playgroups or were in a daycare setting or a school setting, there is significant loss with social development and we've seen the impact of that possibly even more than academics. So we've kind of had to work on, we don't have time to just pick one area. We have to work on both because every year that goes by is going to be harder and harder to recover in both areas. Um, So we've been working hard to close academic gaps and especially with our younger learners um, up through elementary and intermediate school, we've really been working on behaviors and um, their social development and emotional regulation. I saw a statistic here um, a few weeks ago, and I'm not sure, um, I I wish I could cite the exact source, but it was about uh, 
over the last 20 years, there's been this falling trend of ACT scores. Mm -hmm. And the trend is continuing. And in reading a little bit more detail through this kind of in preparation for this interview, uh, how it described things it was basically, it's we still always have the high-performing students. Mm -hmm. They're doing very well and have continued to do very well. It's kind of more those in the middle who are now kind of, I won't say, are struggling more. Yeah. Is that the experience that you've seen in, in Altoona, and why might that be? Yeah, so specific to our ACT scores, we had been on a downward trend. Actually, I'll be honest, all of our outcomes had been on a downward trend since about 16, 17. So even pre-COVID, unfortunately, in Altoona, um, we our learning outcomes were on a downward trend for students. ACT has trended back upwards, um, and with, with our third through eighth grade scores, there are some areas um, that are already higher than pre-COVID and some that are the highest they've been. During COVID specifically, one of the things that we saw is overall learning came down, but some of those gaps that have always existed got even bigger. So specifically in Altoona, we've been able to um, make gains with our students living in poverty, which is about 39% in Altoona, um, with our students of color, which is about 16% in, in Altoona. But where we see that gap growing are students with disabilities. We're really struggling there and we're making that a priority because that is a, a group of students, about 16% of our population as well. And they're continuing the downward trend in several areas as we have seen others go up. So there's always been a gap, but um, during the pandemic, we saw that gap get even bigger. So students who struggled before are struggling even more. And some of those, um, some students weren't affected at all. One of the things that, uh, one of the positive developments, as we've said before, is everyone became more used to technology. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, has changed snow days forever. Yes. For, 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 we talk about changes from 30 years ago and all of that. And it's one of the things even I've fought. There's nothing, there's nothing better than the unexpected snow day. I know in some other districts they've done, you know, oh, we'll give a couple of regular snow days and then after a while we got to do virtual. Mm -hmm. How are you guys handling that in Altoona as far as snow days, as far as giving the kids a full day off, as far as trying to integrate in the, the virtual day once in a while so that you don't have to make it up and go to school until the middle mm -hmm. of June? Yeah, so we build in three snow days for the whole entire system. Um, starting sixth grade and up for the fourth snow day, we do move to virtual. It's a challenge because it's not the same mm -hmm. as being in person, but frankly, coming to school on June 7th, 8th, that's not really productive either. So you're picking your poison. People are just, people are just there. There's no good option either <laughs> way. Um, for some of our younger learners, we do actually have more of a buffer for our required hours. So we might send home some activities that they don't count as instruction, but they're activities that if a parent is in a position that they want to and are able to continue some activities with their kids, we provide that. But realistically, if you're sending your four-year-old to daycare on a snow day, can you imagine that daycare provider with 13 kids and 13 Chromebooks and 13 classes and 13 schools trying to manage that? So that's the the that's probably not going to be valuable. And, and I know and I know this. It, and, and I'm having a couple of kids that have gone through it, and I know not all kids are the same, but anybody that's seen it in 
in practice. It is the best of a bad mm-hmm. situation. That yes. Understand that these these kids have grown up with this technology. To them, it is normal. To yes. us, still doing a Zoom meeting while we may be able to do it and have no problem doing it or anything like that, it's still not the best alternative. To a lot of these kids, they're like, it's all one and the same mm-hmm. to them. Our high school students have given our high school administration very positive feedback about virtual learning days. Again, it's being virtual 100% of the time isn't for everyone, but students occasionally to to learn in that method, they've adapted really well to that. But it's it's not we offer a fully virtual program for 6th through 12th graders. We have about 35 kids who use that program. We also um, partner with CVDC to do a a business academy where students can get a two-year degree, and that's 100% virtual. So that learning works really well for some people and others, us included probably, uh, would would prefer to be in person with people. I miss people. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Heidi, we're just about out of time, but I've just got to want to end up on kind of a final, uh, hopefully positive note. Advice you have for parents for the best ways to support their kids academically. Yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest thing, like we, we joke about math, that a parent today might not be able to sit down and teach their kid math, but a lot of times we can draw the the answer and the understanding out of kids. So ask your kids questions. Ask them, what are you learning about if they get stuck on say a math problem or a, a project they're working on. Well, what do you think? Where, where, who could we ask? Um, um, let's talk through it and just t- be interested in them is the very best thing parents can do is ask a lot of questions and be interested and understand that calling a friend and asking for help is no longer considered cheating. It's considered collaboration. So that's back on the table. But ask a lot of questions and be interested and learn as much as you can. The person who does the talking does the learning. So if the parent can get the kid talking about their learning, sometimes they'll solve their own problems. Excellent. Great way to wrap it up. So thanks so much for joining us again. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Scott and me chat over a beer today with Heidi. If you like what you've heard, please give Banquet with the Beer a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends about us and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Northwestern Bank website, wherever you listen to your podcast from. Banquet with the Beer is sponsored by Northwestern Bank, building stronger communities where people matter. <laughs>